the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea, and he departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a ta- the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water out with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks for joining us tonight. My name is Jason, pastor here at Grace Downtown, and we are glad that you have joined us to worship tonight. We are going through a series this fall called Encountering Jesus, where we are taking a look at Jesus and his encounters with different kinds of people as he walked this earth. We believe the Bible teaches that Jesus was fully God and fully man, and that he walked on this earth some 2,000 years ago, and he interacted with people just like you and me. And as we see those real interactions that he had with different kinds of people, we learn a lot about the heart of Jesus. We learn a lot about what it looks like to search for answers and find them in Jesus. Tonight, as we see in John chapter 4, Jesus encounters a woman who is coming to draw water in the middle of the day. And in just a moment, we'll go through this passage and we will see that this woman was very concerned with how people view her. She was very concerned with how people view her. I have a son going to junior high. My oldest is going to junior high and it's bringing back flashbacks for me of going to junior high and how much I cared about how other people viewed me as I walked the halls of my junior high or as I went to youth group or I played in my neighborhood. I cared very much how people saw me and and how they looked at me, how they viewed me. I would love to say that I left this behind in junior high, but if you're like me, this continues on into adulthood and just kind of changes forms. We are very aware of how other people view us. The woman that has an encounter with Jesus here, she is very concerned with how others view her. And the reason is because she has had many, many challenges in her life, as we'll see in the passage. 
as we see what she struggled with, we will see our own struggle. But we will also see how Jesus draws close to her. And we will see what he offers her. And in turn, we will see what he offers us as well. Would you pray with me to that end? Father, we pray that you would speak in just that way. Father, I pray that you would speak and communicate to us how you see us, how you view us, no matter how others may view us. Father, we pray that you would speak through your word, through your spirit, through your people tonight. We want to hear very clearly from you. No matter what we have experienced in our life, no matter what we've experienced in our week or even in this day, we want to turn our eyes to you and see what you have to say about us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to cover these first 15 verses very briefly. I'm just going to point out a few things in the passage that I just read. If you want to turn there with me to John chapter 4, there's not going to be a lot up on the screen. Uh, But I want to point out a few things that we see in these first 15 verses and then read the final 11 verses together as well so we can see the full picture of what's going on here. First, I want to draw your attention to John 4 verse 4. It says Jesus had to pass through Samaria. But this is not entirely true. To get where Jesus was going, the most direct route was to pass through Samaria. But Jews had a habit of going around Samaria the long way. This is because Jews and Samaritans were not friends. And that's putting it lightly. Geographically, this may have been the most direct route to go through Samaria, but Jews had a habit and a practice of going around Samaria. But in the Greek, we see that when it says Jesus had to go through Samaria, that's hard to say sometimes, Samaria, yeah, that's right. As he had to go through, there's a Greek word that says he was constrained or compelled to go through Samaria. Jesus goes through Samaria for a reason. See, Jews and Samaritans, they weren't friends, and again, that's putting it lightly. Uh, If you read the Old Testament, you see the history of the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans were not just people from Samaria. The Samaritans were people that were Jews that had interwed themselves with Gentiles. As we read the Old Testament, one of the things that God time and time and time again holds against his people and points out against his people is that they have not only worshipped the gods of Gentile pagan nations that don't know the one true God, they have intermarried within those nations. That's where the Samaritans came from. They were half Jew and half Gentile. Jews looked down upon them and even said in their literature and even in some of their prayers that it was better to be a pagan or to be a Gentile, a full-on Gentile, than to be a Samaritan. In the century right before Jesus was born, the Samaritans were upset with the Jews And they took uh, bones of dead animals into Jerusalem and sprinkled them all over the Jewish temple so that their temple would be unclean. These were a group of people that did not get along. Look with me at verse 6. They come to Jacob's well. We read that Jesus was wearied from his journey. 
The first thing that I want to point out there is that it's pretty amazing that Jesus got tired. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus got tired? Sometimes when I think about Jesus, even though I know he was fully man, I think of him like more like a Norse god or a Greek god, like Thor, maybe. Like Thor's a god, right? And he's powerful and he's always got strength and energy. Jesus is wearied from his journey. This reminds us of Jesus's humanity. But also, it says that as he was at this well, he didn't have anything to get out a drink of water. Again, it shows Jesus' intention to be at this place at this time. He didn't go with his disciples into town to get food. He stayed right there, and he had no means of getting water. He intended to interact with this Samaritan woman. He had no way to get the water, as we see in verses 7 and 8. Look with me at verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, asks for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? In this interaction that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman, there are taboos and cultural no-nos galore in what is taking place. Okay, so the first one is that the Samaritan woman is going to draw water by herself in the middle of the day. This was not a common practice. You usually went with the other women from the village or women from your family. You also went in the morning or the evening when it was cooler. She's going midday by herself. So this is the first thing you don't do. And then in the Near East culture of 2,000 years ago in the first century, and even to this day, men and women that are not related do not relate to each other in this way. Uh, Kenneth Bailey wrote a great book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, and he taught in Middle Eastern colleges for 40 years. And he said in 40 years of living in the Middle East, he never made eye contact in public with a woman he was not related to. Because you just don't do that. It's seen as offensive. And here Jesus starts an interaction with this woman. There's even more layers of social taboo, of things you just don't do here. As we see in the text, Jews and Samaritans do not interact. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. We talked about the massive conflict for centuries that these two groups had with one another. There are so many taboos going on here, so many things that you just don't do, yet Jesus interacts with the Samaritan woman. In verses 10 through 12, we see that Jesus is starting a spiritual conversation with this woman. And she takes it very literally. She says, but you don't have anything to get the water out. How can you offer me water? This is another example. You'll see this as we go through this series and as you read people's interactions with Jesus, that Jesus is often talking on a spiritual plane and people take him very literally. That's because we, just like them, think about things in a very material, physical way. Jesus, fully man, fully God, is constantly thinking about how to do the will of the Father. He is constantly working for and working towards the kingdom of God. Yet, those that interacted with him, just like you and I, are very much living in a material world. A very physical world. 
That's something for us to keep in mind for our own lives as we read things that Jesus says, as we hear things from the Lord, as we hear things in sermons. We need to remember that often Jesus and the Spirit through the Word is talking on a very spiritual kingdom level. And often we are so focused on the here and now that we miss what God is trying to tell us just as this woman does. Verses 12 through 14. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus offers this woman something more than what he or she is asking for. Jesus is offering her something eternal. Not just water or a quenching of thirst in that moment. Jesus is offering her something deeper, something spiritual, something that she can't even wrap her mind around. And whatever he is offering even though I don't think the woman yet understands it, at this point in verse 15, she says, I want what you are offering. I want what you are offering. We've been talking about how to bless our world over the summer. We talked about blessing our world, and we talked about the acronym BLESS of beginning in prayer and listening to others and eating with others and serving others and sharing our story with others so that we can bless people with the good news of the gospel. These are the moments that we are listening for to see when people are reaching out and saying, whatever you've got, whatever this good news is, whatever this hope you have, whatever this is that's different in your life, I want it. That's where this woman is in verse 15. Let's see what happens in the rest of the story. Read with me, starting in verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So what happens in these verses that we just read? Jesus shows all his cards. Jesus communicates to this woman that he is talking about something at a spiritual level. He is offering her something that no one else has been able to offer her to this point. Jacob's well is a place that both Jews and Samaritans alike claimed as a holy place, a place that was important to them. You can read at the end of the book of Genesis how Jacob's well 
is a great place for the Jewish people where the Samaritans had claimed it as well. This was a religious spot. It was a great stream of flowing water that you could access. It was a, a well that is about 100 feet deep. It still exists to this day. It was flowing water, and that kind of water that deep is pretty fresh, pretty clean, pretty cold in the hot desert. So this was a place that Jews and Samaritans alike went to for practical means to get flowing, clean, cool water, but it's also a religious place. They both claimed it as important to their heritage. But Jesus tells the woman something here. He says that the Samaritans to this point have worshipped a God they don't actually know and that salvation will come from the Jews, but Jesus says something more here. He says the day is coming and is now here where true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. What Jesus is telling this woman is that since he is here, Jesus, fully man, fully God, the kingdom of God is now here. It's coming, but it's already here because he's here. And because of what he is going to do, because of what Christ is going to do for her, for you, for me, True worshipers will come to him in spirit and in truth. It's not going to matter if you're Jewish. And it's not going to matter if you're Samaritan. It's not going to matter if you go to Jacob's well or do anything else religious. The idea is to know Jesus. Jesus is saying that now inside of you is going to be a spring of living water that will flow up to eternal life. He's saying the kingdom is here because I'm here and you can participate in the kingdom right now. That's what Jesus is offering this woman. The Jews awaited a king. The Jews awaited a Messiah who would come and sit on an earthly throne. The Samaritans awaited a teacher. They had a, a word for this. They had a, a word for this in the first century, Tahib. And it was a teacher who would come, a teacher who would return, a teacher who would come and restore what is true. Jesus comes and says, I am a king, I am a teacher, but I'm so much more. What they got in Jesus is what we are offered in Jesus, a living, flowing stream of eternal life participation in the kingdom of God that we could never earn for ourselves, but Jesus had to pay our way for. So what happens with this woman in this encounter where Jesus tells her exactly what's going on in her life, that she's been married five times, that the man she's with now he, she is not married to. What happens when he takes this conversation from a physical realm to a spiritual realm? What happens when he talks about this coming kingdom? Look with me at verse 29 and 30. Start in verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and they were coming to him. This woman goes and tells everyone in town, come meet a man that just told me everything I've ever done. This is not a typical response to someone pointing out your shame, to pointing out your sin, to pointing out your hurt. 
just pointing out the worst parts of you. You don't usually run around and tell everyone. Usually we cower in shame and hope no one else finds out. But this woman goes and tells everyone to come and says, could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the kingdom come? She goes and tells everyone about this encounter with Jesus because in Jesus she finds what she has been looking for and more. What she has found in him is unique. See, this woman had had a difficult life. We'll talk about this in just a moment. And what she needed, she knew she didn't just need a teacher. She didn't just need an earthly king. She didn't need a religious system or a book on marriage or to finally just meet the right man or pleasure in the things of this world. She found something in Jesus or someone in Jesus that offered satisfaction. Satisfaction. She found in Jesus someone that drew near even though he knew the worst parts of her. So we're going to spend the rest of our time tonight answering the question, what is relevant about this story for us today? Because so much in this story seems ancient. What is relevant to us in this story today? We're going to take a look at the two main characters in this story, the Samaritan woman and Jesus. First, the Samaritan woman. What do we know about the Samaritan woman? We know that she had been married five times. In the ancient Near East, being married three times was the limit. Whether your husbands died or whether he divorced you or whatever happened, the limit was three, and then you were ostracized from society. And this woman had been married five times. She's now living with a man that she isn't married to, which is frowned upon in every major religion and always has been. She comes to the well in the middle of the day in her shame and also with no friends. And no one from her family, she couldn't find anyone to go with her in the middle of the day. The Samaritans had been marginalized by the people of God. This all leads up to this woman feeling an extreme sense of shame. She was ashamed of what she had done. She was ashamed of what others had done to her. She was ashamed to be talking to this Jewish man as a Samaritan. She would rather go in the heat of the day alone to draw water than to walk in her shame. So what do we know about this woman? Is she a sinner? Yes, of course. Is she a sufferer? Yes, of course. Is she loved by God? Apparently. Because Jesus, fully man, fully God, drew close to her when everyone else ran away. Everyone else didn't see this woman. They saw her categorically. They saw her as divorced Samaritan woman. Everyone else didn't see her truly. They just painted her in broad brush strokes. They painted her in broad categories instead of looking at who she really is. And we do the same. And the same is done to us. We paint with such broad strokes. And we are so quick to put people in categories instead of getting to know who people really are. And it's been done to us as well. 
There's so many people that based on who we are, what we've done, the color of our skin, where we went to school, where we didn't go to school, because we're a Christian, because we're not a Christian, for some reason, people have looked down upon us or painted us with a broad brushstroke. But not so with Jesus. We as humans made in the image of God need to see one another based on our humanity. Based on our humanity, we need to approach one another based on our humanity that we are made in the image of God and that everyone has value because of that. We need a more nuanced view of what people have done and what they have been through. And the only way that we can get that is through Jesus. Let's take a look at Jesus. Jesus goes out of his way to interact with someone who is marginalized. Do you know this feeling when you're at the grocery store or you're at the library or heaven forbid you're at church and you see someone and you're not super excited to talk about them and so you take a little longer doing what you were going to do or you go the long way to go around because you don't want to talk to them? Have you been there? Am I the only one? This is something that we do if we don't necessarily want to talk to that person. So we go the long way. Jesus, not so with Jesus. He had to go through Samaria. He had to stay back as the disciples go to town. He had to stay there with nothing to draw the water so he could interact with this woman. Jesus goes out of his way to interact with her. And Jesus sees us with the same intention, with the same humanity. He sees us as being made in the image of God. Why do we like to go the other way or why do we like to paint with such broad categories? It's because people make us feel uncomfortable if we don't understand them or if they're different than us. Or we have our own agenda, we're busy doing our own thing, or we're fearful of what to say, or we have prejudices against all kinds of people, basically anyone not like us. So we paint with these broad brush strokes and no longer think about people according to their humanity. Notice how often Jesus goes out of his way to specifically interact with the marginalized. The religious people throughout the Gospels are busy fighting about who Jesus is or is not. And the disciples then end up fighting about all kinds of things. And while they're doing this, Jesus is over here healing this kid and bringing this person back from the dead and having this spiritual conversation with this person that everyone else looks down upon. Notice as we go through the series and as you read the Gospels and you see what Jesus is doing and how he talks and how he approaches people, how much Jesus is drawn to those who are marginalized. As we see this, we see the heart of God. Jesus overcomes the taboos of the culture in his time. He allows other people even to serve him. He asks questions. He tells people the truth about their life, and he offers them true life. Jesus offers this woman and us the opposite of what she has experienced and what we have experienced. He draws near to us when others have pushed us away. Jesus draws near even though he knows the worst of us. There is no one in this room that knows you better than the one who made you. 
And yet he draws near. And yet he offers you this well of living, flowing, eternal life that can purely satisfy you forever. Eternal, eternal springs of water flowing up, welling up inside of you to satisfy you like nothing on this earth can. And the reason that Jesus can offer this to you is because although we deserve to be ostracized for our sin and the things we've done and the things done to us, we're really no better than this Samaritan woman. Because of what we've done and the things done to us, the way we viewed ourselves and others, we don't deserve to be in a kingdom run by a king like Jesus. The reason that we can participate in his kingdom, the reason that we can have this flowing, eternal spring of living water inside of us is because Jesus ostracized himself on our behalf. Jesus died outside the city gates. Jesus, though perfect, died a sinner's death. Jesus stood in our place and accepted separation from the heavenly Father so that we could be united with the heavenly Father. He bought our way into his kingdom. So we can have a kingdom led by a good king in a perfect kingdom where sin and death are erased forever. This is what Jesus offers the woman, and this is what Jesus offers you tonight. Right now, tonight, you have this opportunity to drink from a well that will never run dry, that will always satisfy, that will always provide for you the thing that you need the most in this life and in the life to come. This is what Jesus offers us. This is what Jesus bought for us. This is why tonight we remember his body broken for us and his blood spilled on our behalf. We remember what he did on the cross, buying our way into the kingdom. We all want to be really known in this way. We all want to have this sense of connection with not only God, but others, but we know we can't achieve it. We know there's something wrong in each of our relationships. We know that there's something wrong in humanity that we can't feel the sense of connection with God and others that we know we are supposed to have. There's something getting in the way. Jeremiah 2, 11 through 13 from the Old Testament describes for us why. It says, My people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Instead of the kingdom of God welling up inside of us and providing us life and providing us connection with God and others, we are sucking on dry ground. Every attempt on our own to be right with God, every attempt on our own to do the right thing, every attempt on our own to make perfect connection with God and others is just sucking on dry ground. Or realizing that we need to catch the water so we make for ourselves a cistern, we make for ourselves a well, we make for ourselves a bowl, but it's just broken. 
and the water, the satisfaction, the sense of connection just flows right through it. Tonight, you have the opportunity to turn to Jesus and find what you have been looking for all along. The things of this world will never satisfy you. Your own righteousness will never satisfy. Doing the right thing will never be good enough. Any earthly relationship will never satisfy. It's only in Jesus and in his kingdom that we find what we are truly looking for. Will you drink deeply of who he is and what he has done, or will you continue to suck on the dry ground, parched and looking for satisfaction? You can give your life to him. You can live for his kingdom. You can have that water welling up inside of you, that eternal life, that kingdom of God, that connection with God and others that you have really been looking for. Have you already drank of this living water? Do you already have the kingdom inside of you? Jesus says here, the day is coming and the day has now come when worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Have you already drank of this living water? Then stop returning to the ground to suck on the dry ground. Stop drinking salt water that just makes you thirsty. Stop looking to the created thing to satisfy you when the thing you need is your creator. The thing you need is what he's already put inside of you, a stream flowing with living water. That water is pure and it's flowing and it's cold and it's satisfying, but it's a hundred feet under the ground. And they could only get it if they sent that bucket down and they got the water out. We have that stream of living water, that kingdom of God flowing inside of us, but we have to tap into it. And we have to stop drinking salt water that doesn't satisfy. You want to know why we struggle? You want to know why we forget? You want to know why we struggle so much with joy and purpose and struggle with so many things as the people that don't have that flowing inside of them? We struggle with the same things. It's because we forget what's inside of us. We forget what God has already put inside of us. He has put his spirit. He has put his kingdom already inside of us. And it's a stream welling up inside of us to eternal life. And his kingdom is coming, but it's already come in you. And like this woman, when you find something that really satisfies, you go and you tell everybody about it. You go and tell everybody about it. And you go and you say, come and see the one that really satisfies. Stop sucking on dry ground and come see with me. That's our call as we go out to bless the world and communicate the good news of the gospel. It's a come and see message. Come and see the one that has satisfied me and can satisfy you as well. Would you take a moment and pray with me? Tonight, I want you to, to consider taking action on what you have heard here tonight. I 
I hope that you have been engaged with what you've heard, but more than anything, I pray that you would take action on what you have heard tonight. If you would like to begin this relationship with Jesus that I talked about tonight, but you're not sure how, there's an offering box at the back with a card that says, I believe. Fill that out. We'll get in contact with you and help you answer your questions and point you to the one that satisfies and the one you are looking for. If you have this stream of living water here tonight, as I pray here tonight, would you pray and ask God, who do you want me to share this good news with? Who do you want me to go grab and say, come and see the one that is satisfied. Come and see the one that sees my sin, sees my shame, yet loves me still. Father, continue to speak tonight. God, I pray that we would take advantage of this offer of life that you offer, Jesus. God, I pray that we would stop sucking on dry ground. I pray that we would stop trying to be satisfied with salt water. I pray that we would stop trying to take in all the things of creation and instead we would turn to you and worship you, the creator, our God, the one true king. God, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our lives, in this church, in our community, in our relationships. God, show us who we need to go and bring to you and say, come and see the one that truly satisfies. God, we pray that you would continue to speak tonight, speak through your spirit, speak through your word, speak through your people here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.